Well, if you're here for the first time again, or if it's been a little while, we are uh, knee-deep now in a sermon series entitled, Jesus Is. Jesus Is, as we look through the book of Mark. And we've been doing this a little bit each fall, and this year we're in Mark chapter 4. My, my hope is at some point we'll get to the end of the gospel of Mark, but I wanted to take our time through the gospel, go word by word, verse by verse. And the reason that the sermon series is entitled, Jesus Is, is because anytime you read the Gospels and you see all these miraculous stories, I want you to be thinking that Jesus is saying, I am the Son of God. I am the Son of God. We see that Jesus is the Son of God through His power over nature and demons and blindness and paralysis and sickness and curses and death and even eternal life. Every single one of those stories, the primary point of that story is that Jesus has power over all of those things because He is the Son of God. And what better thing to do than to look through the gospel as we get ready for the Christmas season, as we remember His first coming, and as we look forward to His second coming, we remember that He is the Son of God. Today we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 29 in Mark chapter 4, and our sermon this morning is entitled, The Secret Work of a Sovereign Kingdom. The secret work of a sovereign kingdom. And before we uh, go to the text, I thought I'd I'd start with a real short story. And it's literally short because it's about a man named Luke Short. All right, Luke Short was an English uh, immigrant who came over to America in the early 1700s. And God tremendously blessed this man's life. In fact, he lived for 106 years and as rare as that is today, that was a lot rarer in the early 1700s. But the, the true miracle of Luke Short's life had nothing to do with the fact that he lived for 103 years. The true miracle is what took place when he was 103. Now, he lived in New England, and he was a farmer. And one day, when he was 103 years old, Luke Short was walking in his crop field, and the Holy Spirit brought back to his mind a verse of Scripture from a sermon that he had heard more than 85 years before. And in that one moment, of course, the the Scripture was 1 Corinthians 16.22 that says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And the sermon was preached by the great English Puritan preacher John Flavel, again, more than 85 years before. But after hearing it and meditating on it and God bringing it back to his mind 85 years later, it was in that moment in that crop field that he bowed his knee and confessed with his tongue that Christ was Lord and got saved at 103 years old. Three years later, he died. The epitaph on his gravestone said this, Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106 years. So here's the question. What happened between the beginning of his physical birth and 103 years later when it took him to experience spiritual birth? What happened in that sermon that the famous preacher preached in 85 years went by before that one sermon and the seed scattered in that sermon brought him to faith? What happened? The answer is the secret work of God. The secret work of God. As we walk through Mark chapter 4, my heart for us today is that we would consider the words of Jesus when he tells us that God is building a sovereign kingdom and he's doing it secretly every day in ways that we cannot see visibly with our eyes, but we need to trust with our hearts. So what's the big idea? How do I rephrase this in one sentence to get us ready to walk into Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29? Here it is. 
God is secretly working to build his sovereign kingdom through every season of our spiritual journey. Let me say it again for the note takers. God is secretly working to build his sovereign kingdom through every season of our spiritual journey. So, if you want to know more about the secret work of God in your life and in the kingdom of God, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Mark. Book of Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 998 in your pew Bible. Again, I, I say often, if you're new to the Bible, that big number is the chapter. Those small numbers are the verses. Again, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And if you would stand at this time. Out of reverence for the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Again, this is Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. We will rejoice, as Brother Eddie said, and be glad in it. And Father, we confess that you are doing so many things at this very moment that is beyond our understanding. Every single person in this room this morning is not here by accident. You're working behind the scenes in each and every one of their lives. And, and Father, I just pray in the short time we have here this morning that you be richly glorified through the preaching of your word as seeds are casted. We trust that you give the growth and that you will get the glory. Father, open up our hearts and minds to be fertile soil to receive these seeds this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a very short parable, one of the shortest ones that Jesus teaches. It has a very deep meaning. But before we walk into the text and kind of walk through it verse by verse, I want to do something that I wish pastors would have done with me when I was first growing in the faith. And that is stop and define a few words and not assume that we understand what these words mean. Now, for some of you, this may be review, but for others, this may bring the picture clear. Okay, there's two words that I want to talk about. One I mentioned a few weeks ago that I want to mention again, because this really is the focus of the Gospels, and that word is kingdom. And the other word that I want to talk about is sovereignty. I want to talk about the kingdom of God, and then the sovereignty of God. And then when I think we've got a good picture of that, then I want to dive into the text. So let me start with the kingdom of God. All right, if you're visiting or if it's the first time you're here, perhaps you're at other churches and you hear the word kingdom of God and, and you've heard it so many times, you think you might know what it means. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I gave this definition. I want to give it again. There's an author named Graham Goldsworthy that says, the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Okay, let me say it again. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And I want you to think about the kingdom in terms of the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You see, God created the world with intention. He wanted to be king over all of his creation, yet he gave us free will to choose to live under his authority or to reject it and want to be the king of our own lives. And that's exactly what happened. The Garden of Eden was created in such a way that if Adam and Eve were obedient and lived under the kingship of God, 
They would have had children who would have had children who would have had children, and that garden would have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and God would have been fully in control of all of it. They would have been worshiping him rightly in spirit and truth, and there would have been no death and no disease and no pain and no separation. But when Adam and Eve decided they wanted to eat from the one tree that God told them not to, in essence, what they were saying is, I don't want to live in your kingdom. I want to build my own. And ever since then, we as human beings have been struggling because we try to build our own kingdom instead of living for the glory of God's kingdom. And that's really the story of Scripture. Right? The kingdom of God was created in the garden. It was rejected by Adam and Eve. But God promised that he'd rebuild the kingdom. He said a seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, the Messiah, the Son of God, would come and make all things new and rebuild this kingdom. All right? And we see it began through the nation of Israel. All right, it was completed through the coming of Jesus Christ, and it will be consummated upon the return of Christ. God is building a kingdom internally right now, but one day it will be external as well. What do I mean by internal? God is changing your heart and your mind to think like Jesus and feel like Jesus and act like Jesus and to love God like Jesus so that God is the king on the throne of your heart. But one day, God's going to be king on the throne of the physical universe as well. When Jesus comes back, heaven and earth will collide. What is up there will come down here, and we will live in beautiful new resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth for all of eternity in the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. God's not just saving individual souls, though he is. He's building a church and building a kingdom. That's what God's doing. All right, so that's kingdom. What about sovereignty? Perhaps you've heard this word used in church a lot. What does the word sovereignty mean? Well, here's maybe an easy way to understand it. Just remember these four P's, okay? It's all about power, purpose, plan, and promise. Whenever I think of the sovereignty of God, I think about His power, His purpose, His plan, and His promise. Let me talk about His power. When we say that God has sovereign power, that means he has the ability to create and control everything. Think about the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. How hard was it for God to create light? It wasn't. All he had to do was say, let there be light. And there was light because he had sovereign power to be able to do that. Unlimited power. But God also has a sovereign purpose. He can see the beginning from the end, and he has intention for every single moment. And we need to remember that in the bitter and in the sweet. God has intentionality. There's no accidents here today. All of you are here because God sovereignly worked in your life to bring you at this very moment to sit in the very seat that you're sitting in. And that does not violate human will. It does not. It works in unison with free will in a way that we can't possibly understand. So he has power and he has purpose, but he also has a plan to carry out that purpose. And again, we don't know everything that God is doing because we're not God. Now, here's a way to understand when things are not going the way that we think they should, how God is still in control. Perhaps you've turned on television lately and seen the mass shootings at synagogues and churches and schools and say, how... How is that happening if there's a sovereign God? Well, there's mystery there. But the way I answer that mystery and kind of leave it a mystery in my own heart is I remember that God has an active will and a permissive will. And here's what I mean by that. An active will means God intercedes and acts directly on people's behalfs in certain situations. And then his permissive will is sometimes he permits things to happen because he knows he will bring out a greater good. 
that does not mean that God is ever or will ever be the author of sin or evil. And he, is not, he does not find joy in watching us experience pain. But he will allow the greatest pain to happen to bring about the greatest glory. And if you don't believe that, look at the cross. The ugliest thing in human history became the most beautiful thing in human history when Jesus was put on the cross. So he has an active will and a permissive will, but he's in control of everything. And then finally, a promise. All of this would not be good news if we did not have a promise that his plan is actually a good one. If God was an evil God and he was working to create a purpose and a plan for ultimate evil, then all the suffering that we'd go through would be meaningless in the end because ultimately we'd be going to an eternal death. But he has good news of a good promise, a sovereign promise. And I hang my hat on Romans 8.28 and I want you to listen to it closely because we overlook what it really means. Romans 8.28, for God works all things together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Listen closely. It does not mean all things are good. It means he works them together for good. All right? Not all things are good, but God is fully in control and working them together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So he's building a kingdom. And he's sovereignly in control of that kingdom, of its power and purpose and plan and promise. And now and only now, I think we're ready to look at Mark chapter 4. So let's walk through the text here. And I want to look at three seasons of our spiritual journey where God is in control and secretly working on our behalf. So number one, God is secretly working through the season of sowing. God is secretly working through the season of sowing. Look at verse 26. It says, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, here's something that helped me years ago when I was reading the Bible. If you want to know the meaning of the text, you have to look at the individual words and see where is the author placing emphasis and where is he keeping it generic. A couple of of weeks ago, we talked about that famous parable of the sower. And I said, nobody in Metter, Georgia will ever have an excuse for not knowing that parable, considering what ministry is just down the street. But that, that parable is not really about the sower, it's about the soil, because that parable about, was about four different types of soil in which the seed was cast. Well, this parable, Jesus is, is talking about the kingdom, but he's showing us a different angle. In this particular passage, it's not about the soil, and it's not about the sower, it's about the seed. And how do I know that? As we look here, it says the kingdom of God is as, as if a man. Okay? This man is not even important enough that they give him a title. He's not Joseph the farmer. All right, he's not the sower, he's just a man. And then it says, should scatter seed on the ground. The ground is not fertile soil. It's not listed as soft soil, hard soil, crowded soil. It's just called the ground. So we know in this parable that the focus is not on the sower and it's not on the soil, it's on the seed. And what is the seed? The seed is the word of God and specifically the gospel message. This is the seed right here. And as we walk through this parable, we'll see that this seed is where the power is. The power that God uses this seed in unison with his Holy Spirit to do things that we can't fully understand is mind-boggling. The seed is the agent of God's transforming power. That's why we say in our mission statement, heads, hearts, and hands being transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, and any farmer that knows the power of the seed he knows what the seed is he knows what the seed can do he knows why the seed needs to be scattered he knows when and where to scatter it and then he's supposed to scatter it and get out of the way 
Scatter it and get out of the way. We need to trust in the power of the seed. Because when we don't, what happens is manipulation. And I don't want to get into too many individual examples, but those of you who've been in church life long enough, whether it was a vocational evangelist or uh, an overzealous preacher or teacher, all of you have probably been in a church service where somebody was manipulating to try to get a response and get people down the aisle to the altar because they don't trust in the power of the seed. They look at numbers and and they want to see results instead of trusting that God is at work using the most powerful agent possible, the Word of God. We need to to know this, that if we do not trust in the power of the seed, sometimes there are evangelists and pastors that will share endless sob stories to try to get emotional responses Uh, We'll try to scare people out of hell and into heaven. And we'll present Jesus as a magic genie that will take care of all your problems and give you all this great health, wealth, and prosperity. Guess what? The pastors that are doing that are filling their churches to standing room only. But there's no power. This is the power. The, the, The unfiltered word of God that can save your soul. The power that says that God is holy and loving And in His holiness, He created you in His image to be just like Him. And in His love, He offered grace because you fell short of that. Through Jesus Christ, His perfect life, His sacrificial death, His supernatural resurrection, His heavenly ascension, and one day His second coming. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and give your entire life to Him, then and only then will you come to be saved and become this plant that starts to grow. That's the gospel. And I will not water it down. Because I believe it has power to do what it's been doing for 2,000 years. It's the work of God. The power is in the seed and not the sower. I'm the 12th pastor of this church. 11 pastors planted a lot of good seeds. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I will come and go one day and the next sower will be behind this desk casting more seed and the church will continue to grow. The power is, not in, is in the seed and not the sower, and we should never manipulate people to watch superficial responses when we should be waiting for supernatural conversions. I want to see people saved as much as you do, but I trust that God will do it in His time when I do what I'm called to do, which is scatter the seed. And God is in control of this season. James chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The implanted word, the scattering of the seed, the seed that we said in the very beginning took 85 years for one man to come to saving faith. Imagine if we judge the success of John Flavel's ministry based on who came down the altar at the end of his sermon. It took 85 years for that guy to come down the front. All right, And that man was long gone, but God was working the whole time. God does call us to be evangelists, to go out and scatter the seed, but God gives the increase and God gets the glory. We need to preach and teach the Word. So that's number one. God is secretly working through the season of sowing. Number two, God is secretly working through the season of growing. Look at verses 27 through 28 with me. It says, he sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. This is amazing. All these things that are happening in our lives. Right now, I look over in this room, and we probably have 150, 175 people here. And and each individual life represented in this room, God is working. 
He's doing things that I don't understand, that I can't see with my eyes. But he's working. He's working in each and every soul in this room. And, and guess what? The farmer who casts the seed, it's not that he sits in a lawn chair and does nothing, by the way. If you think all I do is preach on Sunday and go home, my wife will tell you something different. I promise you. All right? Ministry is a different kind of busy. I'll tell you that. But at the same time, here's what the farmer does do, and here's what he doesn't do. All right? He waters the crop field. He removes the weeds. He keeps the soil fertile. But there's one thing that he can't do. He doesn't mess with the seed. Once the seed goes in the ground, it doesn't come up until God says so. Either that or he's not going to be in the farming business very long. Trusting in the seed. He trusts the seed. He nurtures the ground around the seed. He prays for the seed. And he waits for the growth of the seed in God's time and not his. And God does most of this while he's sleeping. Isn't that amazing? I remember years ago I was, I was reading a book and it said at the very end, one of the one of the things we can do to worship God is get a good night's rest because when we go to bed, we tell God we, we believe he's king of the universe and we're not. He can do more while we're sleeping than we can do while we're awake. This is the God we worship, and he's at work. You know, it reminds me of one of my absolute favorite movies, okay? 1988, Kevin Costner and Ray Liotta in Field of Dreams. It's a great movie. Burt Lancaster, one of his final acts before he, he died. And in that movie, I'm sure most of you have seen it. If you haven't, I'm sorry to say this is a spoiler alert, but it did come out in 1988, so you had your chance. All right? In this movie, Ray Kinsella is the character that Kevin Costner plays, and he is a farmer in Iowa, and he's out in the crop field, and he hears this voice. The movie never says it's God. They just call it the voice. And the voice says, if you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. And so what does he do? He doesn't fully know what's going to happen, but he, he has this idea that he needs to build a baseball diamond in the middle of Iowa corn. All right, so he builds this baseball diamond and waits and waits and waits. And the movie shows this scene where he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's staring out the window and he keeps telling his wife, something's going to happen on that field. And then they show this Christmas scene where his family's dancing around a tree and he's sitting on the edge of the windowsill and he's looking out of the field and there's just all kinds of snow covering the diamond. And he just stares and he just waits. And then it fades into this spring night when he's basically sitting at his table doing his bills with his wife and his daughter Karen comes in and says, there's a strange man out there on your field. And he puts the light on and he found out that he in fact came. Shoeless Joe Jackson, the hero of his father. Why do I say that? Because there's something we do and there's something God does. And when we do what we're called to do, we wait. And he will do it. Instead of saying, if you build it, he will come. How about if you plant it, he will grow it? If you plant it, he will grow it. I know we're zealous to see the growth. I want to see it as much as anybody else. But the most significant growth that will take place in whatever ministry you invest in probably won't happen while you're here. You may not be able to see it, but it's happening. I've had the joy of being a youth pastor, now coming back as the senior pastor, and I'm just now starting to see some of the seeds I scattered among the youth. I think about that quite a bit. Now, what are the stages of growth that he mentions in this passage? Well, there's three. There's the blade, the ear, and the full grain. So let's think about the blade. I think the blade represents new life. The blade are those first couple of little pieces of green that kind of pop through the soil. This is uh, when we become a new creation. A crop that was not previously there is now there. 
Reminds me of uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, think about the crop coming up. The new has come. This is, this is that blade that comes from the seed being planted. But it doesn't stay a blade forever. It becomes the ear. This represents noticeable growth. If you're a Christian and you've placed your faith in the Lord, you ought to be growing. Your thoughts ought to be changing. The prayers that you're praying ought to be confession of sin and conviction over things that didn't used to bother you. And now they do because you want to honor Christ and be like Him. And the Spirit of God is speaking to you. And then there's the full grain. This represents full maturity. This is when you're finally the the crop that God intended for you to be and you're bearing good fruit. And eternally speaking, this ripening stage is also when God is going to send back Jesus Christ when the kingdom is finally ready to be consummated because the gospel seeds have been scattered over all four corners of the earth and it's now time for Jesus to come. But we need to remember through this whole process, it's in God's time and it's for God's glory. God's time and God's glory. And I think we struggle with this. And here's why I think we struggle with this. Because we want to see the kingdom of God built during spectacular moments instead of slow seasons. And I think the reason we do that is really one passage of Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, we read about Pentecost. This amazing moment where the Holy Spirit descends down upon the people and a blaze of fire, thousands of people get saved and start preaching the gospel in tongues. And I mean, it's just absolutely firework revival. But guess why God did that? He did that to build a foundation. But the foundation has already been built. You don't need to build a new one. You need to build on top of that foundation. And even if that foundation was built in a spectacular moment, there were thousands of little moments before, and now there are thousands of little moments after. Slow seasons of sowing, of growing, and of reaping. Sowing, growing, and reaping. And there are impatient pastors and zealous congregations that want to see growth faster than God is showing it, and they get into campaigns and programs well ahead of the game, and they get themselves stuck in a a donkey stuck in a ditch because they just were trying to get ahead of God because they wanted to see results. I guess I'm hyper aware of this because I see God growing this church, and I'm excited to tell you that plans are underway for us to expand. We will. There will come a day in the not-too-distant future where I will be preaching in a brand-new sanctuary and we'll be looking out the window to a brand-new Family Life Center because I believe it's God's will for our church. But it will not be bigger than God intends and it will not be quicker than God intends and I have a deep conviction we will not finance a single penny to do it because I believe what God did down that road at the Guidos, He can do right here. God's ability to provide for his people is not tied to a generation or to a certain ministry. It's tied to those who are willing to wait for him to do his work. We need to wait. Trying to force spiritual revival or church growth overnight through a service or a program is like a farmer that tries to reach into the soil and pull up the plant by his own strength. Can't do it. You either let God grow it or you kill it. And I'm excited to say we're going to let God grow it. He's already growing it. He's been growing it long before I ever showed up on the scene. Long before I ever got here. So God is secretly working through the season of sowing. He's secretly working through the season of growing. Third and finally, he's working through the season of reaping. God is secretly working through the season of reaping. Listen to this final verse. It says, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. 
God is glorified through how and when this grain becomes ripe. How does the grain become ripe? Sometimes there's more than one person to scatter the seed, and then other people come by and continue to water it and give the growth. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 7? It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. All glory belongs to God. He intends the process, and he gets the glory. And again, think back to this church. I'm the 12th pastor. How many seeds have been planted in the last almost six decades here? I think about being personally blessed by the harvest of seeds that James Hartley casted in his passion for discipleship. And Brother Eddie and Ronald and others telling me about this continued witness training programs that they have went through and how God is bearing fruit from that today. I think about Mark Sellers and his passion for teaching the Word of God and how Larry Sykes will still recite verses and, and words he heard in a sermon 10, 15 years ago. I think about Jim Wilson and his, his passion for evangelism and for people that he'd drive all through the night on a motorcycle to, to see Brother Larry. These are seeds that were planted 20, 10, 20, 30 years ago, and they're just now coming to the surface. And yet when we think about how's everything going at Cedar Street, well, based on the preaching, here's what's happened in the past week. Well, the success that we're enjoying today could have been based on the ministry of 20 years ago. So we can't judge growth and success based on what we can see above the surface right now. We don't know what God is doing, but he's working. And he will tell us when it's time to reap. He knows how the grain will become ripe, and he knows when. And eternally speaking, when it's time for him to come and Jesus to return and the kingdom to be consummated, that will happen when the grain is finally at its ripest stage. Here's what Revelation chapter 14, verse 15 says. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And guess what? Nobody knows when that time is but the Father. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36? But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And at that time that only God knows, every seed will either be harvested or burned. It'll either be harvested or burned. And we don't know when that's coming, but we know it's coming. So that leads me to our conclusion. If God is secretly working through the season of sowing, that's the scattering of the seeds. The season of growing, that's the blade, the ear, and the full grain. And the season of reaping, that's putting in the sickle for the harvest. How do I sum this up and what should we do about it? Here's the way to sum this up and then some words of application. God's secret work will be complete upon the return of Christ, so what should we do until he comes? Again, God's secret work will be complete upon the return of Christ, so what should you do until he comes? Well, three things and then we'll pray. First is plant. We need to plant seeds, good gospel seeds. We don't need to water down the gospel. We do not need to worry about immediate responses. We need to be faithful to not water down the message, but give people the full gospel seed every chance we get. You know I'm going to preach that behind this pulpit, and I believe our teachers are going to preach that in Awana, Flight, and Elevate, and in all our Sunday school classes, over and over, week after week, the good gospel seed. Remember those five words, God, man, sin, Christ, response. The holiness and love of God. Mankind made it his image to be loving and holy. Sin getting in the way of that. Jesus Christ restoring that through his perfect life and sacrificial death and supernatural resurrection. And then our response to repent and believe in him. Over and over, week after week, casting those seeds. Planting as many as possible. And by the way, 
make sure you're planting them in your home first. When we were at uh, the journey on Friday night over at Compassion Church in uh, one of the Savannah campuses, Dave pointed out a, uh, an illustration. It had two different boxes that were supposed to represent. Uh, one was the church and one was the home. And there was about five times as many ping pong balls in the home as it is the church. And it said, how many hours a year do you spend at church versus home sharing the gospel? We need to be sitting around the table with our spouses and children and grandchildren and, and sharing what God is doing in our life and sharing gospel seeds. And, when we, and just doing the best we can. I tell Ashley all the time, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. God, God didn't do that in my family growing up, but I'm going to figure it out. I have figured out that my daughter's two and she can't fully understand the King James Version yet, so we're going to have to water it down a little bit, but not the message, just the method. Okay, not the message, just the method. We don't water down the gospel seed to get a response. We don't do that. So we plant, but not only that, we pray. All right, prayer works with the sovereignty of God in ways we can't understand. If you say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, why should I pray? Then you don't understand the Bible. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things that otherwise would not have happened, and that does not violate the sovereignty of God. That is in full unison with the sovereignty of God. He knows what's going to happen. He intends for things to happen, but he will only do it when people uh, participate and pray the way he ordains for them to pray. So we could say that this person may be God's elect. But this person's going to come to faith through this person sharing the gospel and this person sharing the gospel and this person praying and this person pleading and this person living out Christ in front of this person and then all of a sudden they hear the gospel for the 50th time and the Spirit of God turns on the lights and they bow their knee and confess with their tongue as Christ is Lord just like Luke Short did 103 years after he was born. And the whole time God's in control of that whole process. And we need to pray that God will continue to do His work. And the final thing is we need to prepare We need to plant, we need to pray, and we need to prepare. As I said a few weeks ago, you need to prepare for more gospel seeds to be planted in your heart. How fertile is your soil? How willing were you coming into the sanctuary this morning to hear a word and say, well, this is is the gospel of Mark. I read the gospel for 30 years. But seeds are still being casted. Are you receiving them and preparing for the harvest that God wants to do in your life? Are you responding to the seeds that are already there? When we had confession time this morning and the Holy Spirit's prompting your heart, there's something in your life you're doing and you know God said no. But you, you, you just tell yourself long enough, God's okay with this, God's okay with this, and you know He's not. And until you turn away from it, you'll never experience His true power and know His true plan for your life. So we need to be prepared for the seeds that are continue to be casted. So as we enter into a time of invitation, let me just say that I'm grateful as I look out at this congregation that I can't see everything that's happening underneath the surface. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know what God's doing in my life, but I know He's doing something. I can see blades coming through the soil. There's areas in my life where I've seen the ear come and the grain is starting to flesh itself out and it excites me to want to do more for the Lord and to be a part of other people's lives and to see them grow as well. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you know Him here, but you know that He is not the King and the Lord of your life and the sovereign kingdom He's building, you're not a part of. I've just planted some more seeds in your soil. And I'm asking you to respond to those seeds in repentance and faith. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Do not wait. Don't listen to the story I started out the sermon with and say, well, I got 103 years to do what I want to do, and then I'll give my life to Jesus. If Luke Short could come back, he'd say he wasted a lot of time. There's never anyone that came to Jesus Christ too soon and missed out on something special. You can't improve upon God's best. And God's will for your life is for you to know Christ. And if you do know Jesus, check your heart. Ask what type of soil you're receiving these seeds today. And even if things are not going the way that you want them to go in your family, they're not going the way you want them to go in your job, or they're not going the way you want them to go in in whatever ministry you're participating in, and you wish you could see more, just know God's at work. He is at work. For those of you that have children or grandchildren that have not come to faith yet, keep planting seeds, water the soil, and then trust and pray that when you're asleep, when your child's asleep and they're dreaming about bubble guppies or, or a Mickey Mouse clubhouse or whatever else they dream about, no matter how old they are, that God is growing that inside of them in ways that you can't understand. Keep sowing the seed. Keep sowing the seed and know that God is secretly working to build a sovereign kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I... I don't know how to explain your sovereignty in one message, but I know where I fall short, you can do so much more. Father, I pray that we'd leave here today trusting that you're at work in ways that we can't even possibly imagine, even in the darkest of moments, even in mass shootings and untimely deaths, especially at this time of year that we mourn the loss of the ones that we love the most, that none of this is meaningless. None of it is. That you're sovereignly in control of all things. And that you're all goodness and you're not the author of evil, but you allow it to happen for a season to accomplish a greater good. Father, we cling to that promise here this morning and we believe in it because of your son, Jesus. We celebrate him coming and we celebrate his second coming eventually, hopefully soon. So, Father, as we continue to enter into this this season of Advent, we remember the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you open our hearts and minds to be receptive to the work that you're doing, even the things that we cannot see, and give you all the praise, honor, and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, amen.